Hi, it's Jim. Just a quick programming note before we begin. We'll be taking next week off for the Christmas and New Year's holidays, but we'll be back on the following Monday, January 4th. Next week, we'll replay one of our most popular episodes here on the feed. We hope you have a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and we'll see you back on January 4th. Now, on to the show. On the show today, Russian cybercriminals exploited a security company's product to access U.S. government networks. The Federal Trade Commission orders eight social media companies to provide information on their algorithms and data collection. Adobe finally kills off its much maligned Flash player. And today's tip shows you how to stop location tracking on your devices. All of that and more is coming up on the December 21st, 2020 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal Podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have four stories on the news beat for you today. We begin in Washington, where cyber criminals working for the Russian government are suspected of tampering with updates for equipment for SolarWinds a security company that provides equipment for multiple U.S. government agencies and numerous American businesses. SolarWinds released a statement that says that updates to its monitoring software were compromised by a, quote, highly sophisticated, targeted, and manual supply chain attack by a nation-state. It is believed that the U.S. Treasury and Commerce Departments had their communications monitored for several months during the summer. In response, the U.S. government issued an emergency directive ordering all government agencies to disconnect the vulnerable software from their networks. In other news from our nation's capital, the Federal Trade Commission is ordering eight social media companies to reveal information about how they collect and use personal data, especially as it relates to children and teens. The FTC wants the companies to reveal how they collect, use, and track consumers' personal and demographic information, how they decide what is shown to consumers, how they use algorithms or analytics, how they promote engagement on their platforms, and how these practices affect children and teenagers. The FTC says that they wish to, quote, lift the hood on social media and video streaming firms to carefully study their engines. These companies must submit the requested information within 45 days, but it remains to be seen exactly how open they will be with the FTC about their practices. As the year draws to a close, Adobe is bringing its Flash player to the end of its life. At one time, Flash was the biggest player for interactive web development, 
but its use has dwindled in recent years as Adobe has struggled to patch holes in the software. Now, Adobe is finally bringing Flash Player to the end of its life. This past week, Adobe released its final updates to the Flash Player, which means that any further security flaws found will not be patched. If you still have Flash installed on your computer, I recommend that you remove it. Given the number of serious security flaws found in the software while it was supported, it's likely that it will become an even bigger target for criminals now that they know that any flaws they find will remain unpatched forever. And moving across the pond, the European Union has issued a fine of 450,000 euros, or approximately $550,000, to Twitter for a breach that exposed the private messages of some users. EU regulators claim that Twitter failed to provide adequate notice of the breach. Under the regulations implemented in 2018, companies that collect data on EU citizens must notify them within 72 hours of the discovery of a breach. The fines could have amounted to as much as $60 million, but they were reduced since the EU concluded that Twitter's violation of the regulation was not intentional. And now we move on to the scam of the day. Today's email arrived about a month ago. It comes from Mrs. Elizabeth Anna Johnson, using the email address test at ones-best.jp. The email read, My beloved friend in the Lord, how are you today, together with your family? Hope you and your family are fine. I have been waiting for your mail update regards to my previous email to you, but your mail and prayers are not forthcoming. Hope all is well with you and your family. Please, your urgent response will be highly appreciated. God be with you and bless you. Yours, sister in pain, Mrs. Elizabeth Johnson. This email has been checked for viruses by a vast antivirus software. One interesting thing I noticed was that this email ended by claiming it had been checked by a vast antivirus. I highly doubt that this email was actually scanned. However, even if it had been scanned, it likely would not have yielded any results. This is a common misunderstanding about security. You must understand what software does and what it does not do. An antivirus program will scan for malicious software or malicious links, and it can sometimes detect signs of scams. But it's not designed to detect every possible scam. You must be on guard for these type of scams. If you encounter a scam that you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for our cybersecurity pop quiz. Each episode, I'll ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is multiple answer, which means that any combination of these answers could be correct. The question is, which of these can be used alongside a username and password for two-factor authentication. 
A. A code sent to you by text message. B. Blocking all IP addresses from outside the United States. C. A pin that you have memorized. D. A scan of your fingerprint. Or E. A code saved on your phone. The answer will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you can be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 2 in February. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode is released at 8 a.m. on Monday, January 4th. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, which of these steps do you need to take to secure your home router? A. Change the administrator password so it's not the default. B. Disable wireless configuration of your router unless you don't have a device that can use a wired connection. C. Use the more secure WEP encryption type instead of WPA or WPA2. D. Turn on Wi-Fi protected setup. Or E. Turn on the guest network and have others connect to that if your router has that option. The correct answers are A, B, and E. You should always change default passwords so someone else can't look up the password and use it. If you have a device with an Ethernet cable, you should disable wireless configuration so that someone can't reconfigure your router without getting inside your home. And if your router offers a guest network, you should set it up and have anyone who doesn't live in your home connect to that. C and D are incorrect. Web encryption is the least secure form of wireless encryption. You should always use WPA2, or if your router is newer and has the option, WPA3. And Wi-Fi protected setup makes it easier for you to connect devices to the router, but it also makes it easier for other people to get their devices connected to your router. If you prefer to use Wi-Fi protected setup, turn it on when you're connecting a new device, and then turn it back off. Do you want companies to know every single place that you visit? If you haven't taken the right steps, that could be happening right now, even as you're listening to this podcast. We'll have more on how to stop location tracking when we come back from this short break. If you have a cybersecurity question you'd like to know the answer to, you don't have to wait for an episode about it. We want to hear from you, whether it's a question you have or a comment you want to leave us about the show. You can reach us by email at info at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com or you can leave a voicemail at 859-968-9399, option 2. We'd love to hear your feedback or your questions, and we will definitely consider them when we discuss future topics 
or changes to the show. Plus, if we select a topic based on your message, we'll be sure to recognize you in that episode. Once again, that's info at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com or 859-968-9399, option two. Cell phones have improved our lives in so many ways. However, they haven't been perfect devices for us. Our phones have given us access to everything in the world, but they've also given everything in the world direct access to us. And that direct access has allowed data brokers to track your location at every turn. Changes to privacy laws have resulted in an improved ability to stop location tracking in many instances. However, you must know what devices are tracking your location, what apps and features on those devices are doing the tracking, and what amount of tracking you're willing to accept. That brings us to our first point. Before we begin shutting off location tracking for everything, it's important that you think about what amount of location tracking is acceptable to you. The place where you draw the line is completely your decision. I can't make it for you. For example, you could completely shut off all location tracking on your devices. However, if you choose to do that, you won't be able to use some very useful features, such as Find My iPhone or Find My Device on Android. You also wouldn't be able to use GPS navigation to get you to your destination quicker. So at certain times and for certain purposes, you probably do want your location tracked. However, you probably don't want companies like Facebook and Google to know your location every moment of the day. So that brings us to step number two. Once you know what level of tracking you're willing to accept, you need to consider what devices you have that might be tracking you. You're probably thinking about your phone, but there's a wide variety of other devices that could also be used. For example, have you thought about the entertainment system on your car? Many vehicle entertainment systems run on operating systems also made by Google or Apple. Some electric cars also record the vehicle's history of charging station visits. This information could be sent back to the manufacturer of the vehicle or the owner of the charging station. My best advice would be to sit down and make a list of any electronic device that you might carry with you on a daily basis. So now that you've considered what electronic devices could be tracking you, let's move on to step number three, stopping the tracking. You could decide to turn off all location tracking. If your device is an Android device, you can do this in the Settings app. You'll have a Location option on either the Connections or the Privacy section. On an Apple device, you would also go to the Settings apps and select Privacy and then Location. If you have a different type of device, the process is probably going to be similar, 
but you'll have to search through the settings to find where to go. However, it's likely that you don't want to stop all location tracking. As I mentioned earlier, shutting off tracking completely limits the availability of useful features. However, both iOS and Android do allow you to limit tracking on an app-by-app -app basis. Go through the custom settings for each app and open them up. For each app that requests location data, there will be an option to either permit tracking all of the time, permit tracking only when you're using the app, or block tracking completely. For most apps, I completely block location tracking. If an app does have a legitimate reason to ask for location data, it will request those permissions when you need them. You can then decide at the time of the request if you want to allow it. And finally, remember that there are certain types of tracking that you'll never be able to avoid. For example, your cell phone company can get a rough estimate of your location based on the cell towers that your phone connects to. The only way to avoid this is to ditch the cell phone completely, and of course, any other devices that might connect to those same cell towers. And there are other forms of tracking you're not going to be able to avoid as well. For example, tracking an electric car based on the charging stations it visits is something you're probably not going to be able to stop. However, if you take the right steps, you can avoid much of the location tracking that happens today, and you can help keep data from being misused. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, and come back and join us again in two weeks, where we will discuss how you can select the best home security devices. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.